Good evening, folks. It's uh, really lovely to be able to share with you this evening. And tonight, I'm coming to you from my study. And behind me are just some of the books that I read today. Well, maybe not. But uh, it's lovely to be able to be with you this evening. Tonight, we're going to think for a few minutes um, from Psalm 31. So if you have a Bible... It might be really useful to, to get that. Now we're going to journey through the psalm together. And as you're finding it, uh, let me uh, begin by asking you a question. I wonder if there's a song that is particularly significant for you at the moment. The, the song of your heart, as it were. Because songs and music are really powerful, aren't they? Often when we, uh, when we hear a song, it can take us right back to a particular memory or a particular event, a place maybe, or a person, because music and song is very powerful that way. Um, I wonder if, uh, if you're into running and exercise just as much as I am, then uh, maybe not. But if you do those things, then good on you. But often you'll, you'll exercise or you'll run and you'll put music on because music can spur us on. It can give us, help us have endurance and energy and focus, perhaps. Music is something, and, and song is something that we, we have. We want to have a good time. We ha often have music at a party. But there's also music at a funeral. Because songs and music uh, kind of help us understand and cope with and process the things that are going on in our lives. We're going to look at Psalm 31 this evening. And just a, as a beginning, as a bit of context for us, Psalm 31 is part of this big book of, of prayers and praises right at the centre of our Bibles called the Book of Psalms. And these are, are Psalms that have been written over many hundreds of years. Uh, they are uh, prayers and praises, they're poetry. And they were probably compiled together in the, in the songbook, if you will, that we have now, in the order that we have them now, by the priests in the temple as, uh, as the people of Israel rebuilt the temple in the days of Ezra and Nehemiah, Haggai, folks like that in the Bible. As they're rebuilding the temple, they compile these prayers and praises together, songs to be sung Poetry to be reflected on and chewed over and thought about and shared with each other and sung together and meditated on alone to help us understand the world we live in, ourselves and our God. And so we're going to look at, at Psalm 31 and, uh, and bear in mind that this then is, is something to be reflected on perhaps something to be shared and chewed over collectively as well as individually and I feel for, for me I feel like it's been a particularly important psalm um, in the last few weeks. I've got three points um, this evening as, uh, as in this time of change we need some things to remain the same so there's three points and they all have running in the title just as a way of kind of helping us remember them. The first thing I want to notice from the psalm, and we'll read it in sections as we go through, but the first thing I want to notice is that David doesn't run from his pain. David doesn't run from his pain. 
We'll come back to the opening verses in a few moments' time, but let me read verses 7 to 13. Maybe you can follow along in your, in your Bible at home. I will be glad and rejoice in your love, for you saw my affliction and knew the anguish of my soul. You've not given me into the hands of the enemy, but you've set my feet in a spacious place. Be merciful to me, Lord, for I am in distress. My eyes grow weak with sorrow, my soul and body with grief. My life is consumed by anguish and my years with groaning. My strength fails because of my affliction and my bones grow weak. Because of all my enemies, I'm the utter contempt of my neighbours. I'm an object of dread to my closest friends. To those who see me on the street, flee from me. I'm forgotten as though I were dead. I've become like broken pottery. For I hear many whispering terror on every side. They conspire against me and plot to take my life. This is a song which David writes. It's a psalm that he writes and it was going to be sung in the temple so there's a context in which it was written. David writes it presumably about experience in his own life. And we know he went through many troubling experiences, situations of, of real darkness and confusion and distress. But it's also something that God, then God's people are going to share together and chew over and reflect on and proclaim. And it's striking how um, obvious... And clearly, David acknowledges his pain. He doesn't pretend that all is well. He doesn't say everything's great when underneath it's not. He's really open about his trouble. Look at some of the words he uses. He talks about my affliction and the anguish of my soul in verse 7. In verse 9, he talks about being in distress, weak from sorrow and grief. Verse 10, he talks about anguish, groaning and affliction. David is really um, open appropriately about his pain. He doesn't run from it. He acknowledges it. He recognises it. He, he recognises the reality of the situation that he's in. And maybe in order to live well, we do have to acknowledge our pain. I have to acknowledge the strain the distress, the heartache or the trouble that we're in. My suspicion is we get nowhere by pretending everything is great. Now, clearly, I need to be really careful here. And we can take this to extremes, can't we? And I'm not saying, I'm not saying that we need to be the one who's always telling everybody about how terrible life is and how awful things are, and how poorly treated we've been, and what a victim we are in every situation. I'm not saying that. We're not going to that, ex I'm not talking about that sort of inverted pride and self-pity. Neither am I talking about the other extreme, which possible to go to. We could go to the other extreme where we become very stoic, and we say, all suffering is wonderful because it's good for me. And, I, and, and we become sort of this strange pleasure in pain sort of extreme. I suspect most of us don't go there, but we're not stoic about it. We're not looking for painful situations. 
But as we journey through the different seasons of life, it's perhaps important to recognise if we're in trouble and distress, it's okay to recognise that. And there's such security David has here in his relationship with the Lord and that he would share it in this way with God's people. Maybe, maybe in this time, we're feeling some of those things that David's feeling. Anguish, distress, our certainty and, and confidence in things in the future has been shaken and it troubles us. And it's okay to recognise that. David doesn't run from his pain. He doesn't pretend it's not there or cover it with a smile. But he's very open to God and appropriately to God's people about his trouble. But it doesn't stop there. The song doesn't stop there. But that is important. Secondly, notice that David controls the thoughts that run through his mind. David controls the thoughts that run through his mind. Right in the midst of, of David acknowledging the reality of his pain and his distress, his, his affliction, the trouble that he's in, as he acknowledges that and recognises it, right in, in the midst of that, we get verse 14. And, and without in, in any way taking away from his trouble, this is what David says. And this is, I believe, powerful stuff. Verse 14, I'll read through to verse 20. But I trust in you, Lord. I say you are my God. My times are in your hands. Deliver me from the hands of my enemies, from those who pursue me. Let your face shine on your servant. Save me in your unfailing love. Let me not be put to shame, Lord, for I have cried out to you. But let the wicked be put to shame and be silent in the realm of the dead. Let their lying lips be silenced. For with pride and contempt they speak arrogantly against the righteous. How abundant are the good things that you have stored up for those who fear you. That you bestow in the sight of all and those who take refuge in you. In the shelter of your presence you hide them from all human intrigues and you keep them safe in your dwelling from accusing tongues. In the middle of, of, of recognising the reality of the distress that David's in. In the middle of, of his pain, in the middle of his confusion, he says, but I trust in you, Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hands. David's trouble and, 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 and difficulties haven't gone away. But he says, I am not going to be dictated to by them. My feelings my, my mind, my thoughts are important and significant and God has given me those for a reason and I'm not going to ignore them, but I'm not going to be dictated to by them either. And, and, and David says, yes, in the middle of this, but I trust in you, Lord. I say you are my God. 
My times are in your hands. And I think that is is really powerful. David recognises the reality of the situation he's in. But he, he, he lifts his eyes and he sees that life isn't all about his story. But his story is important and only makes sense in, when it becomes part of God's story. His times are in God's hands. He is a servant of God. He is, his, is, is a soldier in the Lord's army. And he is his, his story, his experience is only going to make sense when it becomes part of God's story. He reminds himself of the character of God. He talks about his unfailing love in verse 16. In verse 19, he says, How abundant are the good things that you've stored up for those who fear you. He remembers that God has his future secure. My suspicion is in in, in times of of real trouble and distress, uh, times where the pressure is really on us, if you're anything like me, then in those times it can become really challenging to take control of the thoughts that we have. It can be really a challenge to think correctly in those times of great pressure. We take offence quickly. We lash out quickly. We become very inward looking and, 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 and really kind of shut others out. Um, in, in, uh, in 2006, I started a voluntary position at Capenray Hall and uh, we would have a meeting our, every Monday morning at 8.15. And uh, the meeting was in the managing director's office. So it's quite intimidating with, uh, with quite a few of the, the significant staff. And, and essentially, it was a review of the previous week and a preview of the coming week. And we would discuss... Um, all that was uh, that had gone on and was coming up uh, in order to uh, respond and, and act proactively. And it was a real blessing as a volunteer. Uh, me and another volunteer were invited to join and, and, and listen and learn. And, uh, and it was a very significant learning experience. And uh, every week there would be an agenda that would be given out for this meeting. And at the top of the agenda, there was uh, just a few words that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. From 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, and Paul is speaking to the Corinthian church and he said this, we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. We take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. In other words, that isn't something that just happens during our quiet time or during a nice walk along the canal. But that's something that happens as we act and interact with other people. That we are intentionally, with the risen Lord Jesus living within us and giving us the capacity and the life and the ability, but working with his indwelling spirit, we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. We recognise that our story is about God's story and it only makes sense when it's part of his story. We refuse to become victims. We refuse to take offence 
unless we have absolutely pushed. We choose that we're going to be those who bring life wherever we can. And we take our thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ in the middle of our stressful situations. I wonder how that looks for us today. I wonder what that looks like for us, how we might apply this in our lives, even right now. Perhaps it's easier to see how we might apply the, the, the first part that we looked at, where we looked at recognising the reality of our pain. We can see that, but how do we apply this? I think we, 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 we apply this as we um, make a conscious decision, as David does halfway through this psalm, Yes, things are difficult and it's important we recognise that. We're not pretending, but but I trust in the Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hands. You know, we're his servants. He will fight for us. The victory is his. He will deploy us where he will deploy us. We don't have to fight our own battles. We don't have to fight for position or prominence or to be seen. It's about him. It's his story. And perhaps one of the challenges of lockdown that we're in at the moment is that we're trying to um, interpret um, our relationships a lot of the the time through text messages or emails or through the the, the kind of perceived actions of others. And we're not having the face-to-face contact which which often softens things or helps us understand. And so it's really easy in this season, I think, to take offence, to misunderstand, to become quite inward-looking or overly inward-looking. We recognise the reality of our pain. David doesn't run from the reality of his pain, but David takes control of the thoughts that run through his head. For David, the battle is in the mind. And I suspect... For many of us, it is as well. Thirdly, and our third and final point, is notice how David runs to God. Notice how David runs to God. This is how he begins his song. In you, Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness. Turn your ear to me. Come quickly to my rescue. Be my rock of refuge, a strong fortress to save me. Since you are my rock and my fortress, for the sake of your name, lead and guide me. Keep me from the trap that's set for me, for you are my refuge. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Deliver me, Lord, my faithful God. Before David starts outlining his pain and his trouble and his heartache, he first runs to God. He runs to God who can be his refuge and his help and his strength. The one who can save him. Notice in verse 5 there, David says, Into your hands I commit my spirit. That's a verse that Jesus quotes as he's, uh, as he's dying on the cross. And, uh, and it may be well worth, if you have time, to reread this psalm later on through the lenses of, of the final week of Jesus' life. And um, it may well be that Jesus is alluding to this whole psalm as he makes, as he, as he says that. And, uh, and it reminds us 
that the, the the way that we can, why we can be so honest about our pain is because we have a God who knows about pain. He came as a, as, as, as a man to this earth and he knows what it is to be tired. He knows what it is to have uh, uncertainty in his life. He knows what it is to be hungry and betrayed and let down. He knows what pain is. But he has triumphed over, over death, over sin, and he has ascended into heaven. And he comes to live within us by his spirit so we can share our pain with him because he lives within us and he knows and he understands and he intercedes for us. It truly is an incredible message we have of the Lord Jesus. Notice now how David concludes his song. I'm going to read verse 21 to the end. Praise be to the Lord, for he showed me the wonders of his love when I was in a city under siege. In my alarm, I said, I'm cut off from your sight. Yet you heard my cry for mercy when I called to you for help. Love the Lord, all his faithful people. The Lord preserves those who are true to him. But the proud he pays back in full. Be strong and take heart, all of you who hope in the Lord. These are a wonderful way to finish this song, this psalm. Verse 21 has been a particular help and a blessing to me. And uh, and I shared this in one of the, the Tuesday night Zooms. So forgive me if you've heard this little part before. But David says in verse 21, Praise be to the Lord, for he showed me the wonders of his love when I was in a city under siege. In other words, David was in a, in a city and the enemy was all around seeking to harm him, perhaps to kill him. And he's restricted in his movements and has to lie low. He's essentially in a form of lockdown, isn't he? But he says, praise be to the Lord, for he showed me the wonders of his love when I was in a city under siege. That is Really incredible, isn't it? That's my prayer for, for me and for us as a community, that we would uh, encounter the wonders of God's love, even while we're in a city under siege. Even while we're in lockdown, we would be encountering the Lord and he'd be displaying and, and helping us understand more of his wonder and goodness and more of who he is. Wow, that would be incredible, wouldn't it? And part of that is David saying, praise be to the Lord. We praise the Lord. David, in this song, has kind of taken us on a journey, hasn't he? He's saying he is not, he's acknowledging his pain and his distress. But he's choosing to trust in the Lord and he's going to praise the Lord. Even in that distress and trouble and heartache. And I suggest we need to do the same. We praise him because he's praiseworthy. He deserves it. He is he's God. But we praise him too because we lift our eyes above what's happening and we we get a glimpse perhaps of, of more of who he is. Now that doesn't take away necessarily the reality of our struggles. We're not escaping them. But we're saying, God, you're in this. You're above this. And you deserve praise. And there's something important about that for our, for our own selves, uh, interestingly. 
but there's something right about it too. Praise be to the Lord. Maybe, maybe this week you could find time to uh, to praise Him, and uh, and maybe that will involve singing. So be careful if, like me, you're not a great singer. Be careful that there's not too many people around. But in all honesty, praise Him because that noise will be a joy to God's heart. And it will be important for your own. David praises the Lord. He then says in verse 23, Love the Lord, all his faithful people. Love the Lord. If running to God involves praising him, it also involves loving him. It involves loving him. Now, love is one of those words that we've we've sort of made love... um, to mean anything and everything. And so it's sort of perhaps in a little bit of a danger of losing its meaning. What does it mean to love the Lord? What does, what, what does David mean by that? Well, I, I want to suggest that, that love often involves some sacrifice. I want to suggest that love often isn't so much about um, a, a big gesture as often repeated deeds. I think love is desiring and doing what's best for someone else and it's seen in action. So love the Lord, I would say, so spend time with him. Sacrifice something that you would have done and, and, and instead devote that time to praying or walking with him or reading his word or, or talking with others about him. Humbly, I, I suggest that, that, you know, dial into life group and um, Go on a walk if, if that's available and opportunities there and it's safe. Um, you know, create a bit of time to, to read his word. Love is seen in those actions. It's not necessarily about warm, fuzzy feelings. Sometimes I think with love that it begins with motion and emotion follows. In other words, it begins by an activity, an action and our kind of emotions actually follow on. Sometimes we've we've bought into the into the lie in our modern culture that emotion dictates what happens next. Emotions are important, very important, but my suspicion is often emotions actually follow the decisions of our mind. How do we love the Lord? Well, we love Him by making time for Him, by obeying Him. By doing as he asks. And then thirdly and finally, how do we run to him? We run to him by praising him, by loving him, and by putting our hope in him. Be strong and take heart, all of you who hope in the Lord. We hope in him because our story makes sense when it becomes part of his story. Our hope is that the God who began this world will also wrap it up. That he loves us more than we love ourselves or know or understand. And he's displayed that by coming as a baby to Bethlehem, living a wonderful life, dying a cruel death in our place, but not leaving it there, but rising again and and, and coming to live within us that we might enjoy and share in his risen life. And that's our hope, that he's building his church and the gates of hell can't stand against it. He is our hope. He's a, 
secure and steadfast hope. He is our hope. In this uh, in this unusual season that we're living in, where church now happens online, from Psalm 31, we've been reminded that we can acknowledge our pain, whatever that might be. It might have nothing to do with COVID-19. But pain is universal to us all. So we can acknowledge our pain. But we trust in the Lord and we actively seek with his help to take our thoughts captive. We praise the Lord actively. We love him proactively. And we place our hope in him. And who knows what the Lord is achieving in and through his church at this time. May you enjoy singing this week. Bless you.